1: You are now tuned into anything audible. The most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he sent me off the Sam. So tell me why you mad even. First is, fun is
3: fun me. Me. So that's the Podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm your host, Sam. Jam Packard, professional sports fan, and I am joined as always by the kid. The God. The legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you with three games left in the regular season for the Boston Celtics, who currently sit in second place and will have to do some playoff positioning, some strategery to try and figure out the best place for them uh, as they head into the playoffs, which will start next week. They are coming off two wins, a kind of closer, ugly win over the Indiana Pacers an absolutely butt-kicking of the Washington Wizards, in which they won by 45 points. And they're kind of adjusting to this new world without Robert Williams, and something that has been a point of emphasis for Ime Yudoka, something he's talked about a lot, and something that Jay King wrote about today on The Athletic, is trying to figure out if they can kind of replace the magic of that starting lineup with Robert Williams by inserting – Daniel Tyson, there. Daniel Tyson, Danny Two Blocks, as most people call him, just turned 30 years old and uh, has gotten uh, a lot of minutes next to Al Horford. In a very small sample size, I think they've looked pretty good. But Jay, you dove into the numbers and looked at the film. What's been your impression of uh, that Tyson Horford connection?
2: I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. Uh, over 76 minutes with that group. They have a plus. The Celtics have a plus thirty point one net rating, which is insane.
0: Okay, how many of
3: those? How many of those minutes came in that Wizards game?
2: Yeah, and, and that's the thing. The sample size is tiny. They, some of the minutes came against the Wizards. Some of the minutes came against the Pacers, and obviously, those minutes can't really be trusted to to be a good predictor of how that group will play in the playoffs against Joel Embiid or Giannis or somebody like that. But I mean it's it's better that they're kicking the shit out of teams now than than that they they were, I guess. Um then not kicking the shit out
3: of teams, yes. Winning winning is good. Yeah,
2: and it's like that because of the Robert Williams injury thing, that's like one of the few things the Celtics kinda of have to figure out about themselves is what do they want their front court to look like? Do they want to go with Grant Williams at power forward? Do they want to start Tyson Horford together? Do they want to, like, how are they going to close? Do they go small with Derek White in the starting lineup? Do they do that, just put Derek White in the starting lineup to begin with in a playoff series? So... I think because of the Robert Williams injury and, and maybe some of those things would have been on the table anyway, just because the playoffs bring new challenges, but, but that's definitely something that they have to, to kind of figure out. And, and so far, like they've looked really good together. Al Horford is not Tristan Thompson. So I think we've learned.
3: <laughs> that is true. And it does. Uh, I mean, the two man lineup, we all, all Celtics fans have some trauma from those early Tristan Thompson, Daniel Tice, double big lineups. But it has looked pretty effective. Um, I think the question that you have with the kind of playing Tyson Horford together is for a team that really struggles with shooting: is that a sustainable offense, especially down the stretch? Now, it doesn't seem like the sell that like there is a really a great option for a closing lineup that really provides you with defense and shooting. I know Derek White has improved. Um, from that perspective, and his knockdown down shots at a little bit better pace than he did when he first arrived in the Celtics. But like right now, I feel like I would lean towards using Grant Williams, although he struggled to shooting late. Did knock down some threes against, um, but it seemed like everyone was knocking down threes against the Wizards. I guess if you're Ime Yudoka, like who's your go-to closing lineup at this point? Like, what do you think gives you the best options on on both sides of the ball? Or do you kind of just use it depending on, on, like, circumstance? Like, maybe you need a more defensive lineup, so you go double bigs, or maybe you need a smaller lineup, you go white. Like, where where do you, would you lean right now if uh, some crazy method made you the head coach? Yeah,
2: I mean, that's a really good question. I, I think, at first, after the Derek White trade, I would have anticipated that Derek White would be in the closing lineup, and it would be probably Robert Williams – Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and Derek White.
3: How, but, have we not really seen that? Like, I feel like it's I mean, that lineup is not. Emay's not really used it a lot, or I just don't remember a lot of moments where they've gone small with like those four and a big. I haven't looked into the numbers. Uh, I'm
2: yeah, it, it's well, weird because like, like, like it hasn't happened yet. They haven't had a lot of crunch time, and so so that's one of the reasons. Um, and then a, another reason probably is that Derek White hasn't shot the ball well, uh, although until recently he's come alive a little bit. But but now I think because of White's shooting problems, you have to, like Grant Williams could, could be on the table. And if Robert Williams is out, obviously Horford is, is probably a, a main staple in that cl- closing lineup. So I, I don't know. I, I think Grant Williams like, could be in it on a given night. And then the other thing is, could be matchups. Like, if you're playing Joel Embiid and and James Harden, you might want Tyson Horford out there to have two guys to protect the rim against two two of the opponents who who live inside the paint and who are as physical as as just about any scorers in the league. So, uh, I I mean, the the good thing is Ime Utoka has options. The bad thing is that... That I don't think it's as clear as I thought it was when the Celtics traded for Derek White. Like, I thought it was pretty obvious at that point he would be in their closing lineup. Um, and maybe, maybe it is that easy. Maybe it's just he's going to be there. They'll try to figure out the potential lack of shooting by just being really smart and having defense everywhere and having guys who, four guys who can put it on or five, if Al Horford's in the closing line of five guys who can put it on the, on, on the floor and make plays for others. And so we'll see. Um, but, yeah, and Derek White's shooting could impact a lot of this. Like, and I also want to see how will Emi Odoka react if, like, Derek White is goes into a really bad, cold spell in the playoffs. Is he going to be the type of guy who just stays with him no matter what? Is he going to be the type of guy to yank him and and go with another option?
3: Who's he? Grant, I mean, who's he going Grant to put Williams? in? A, a, a you, can guy, Grant you can certainly go Grant Williams.
2: You can certainly go Grant Williams. Yeah, um, or you could even go Peyton Pritchard if if you really want to space the court. But like, I, I don't think that's totally out of the question. Like they did it against the Mavericks that one close game they played. <laughs> They play so many blowouts that they don't really have crunch time much. Um, but yeah, I I think Imei's got to figure that out. How, how how confident are you in Imei Odoka as a playoff coach before his first postseason? Like, do you have any idea what you might see out of him? Are you, are you, do you think he'll be quick to make adjustments? Do you think? He'll be too rigid. Like, what do you expect out of the Ime the Odoka playoff experience?
3: It's really hard to judge because we just haven't seen the game-to-game adjustments like you do see in the playoffs. Um, and my first reaction, and this is based on, I would say, nothing in particular, but I feel like he's pretty short and rigid with his rotation. But he did mention that he's, like, willing to go to Peyton Pritchard down the stretch of that Mavericks game. Like, he's willing to make the adjustment – based on matchup. And so I'm not entirely sure what to expect from Eme Yudoka and it is his first playoffs, but he did has seen a lot of playoff uh, kind of as a, as a coach under Popovich and then his years in Philadelphia and Brooklyn. Um, I don't know. I I am trying to figure it out on the fly here, but I feel like he is doing that as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see if him just like put someone else in who's not working. I think he's, Because he has uh, guys he's comfortable with, like Grant Williams, like Peyton Pritchard, like Derek White, and I guess Tice at this point, um, I think he, I wouldn't be surprised to see him use any of those guys in that closing lineup. I would be shocked if he like got to a point where he's like, we got to put Neesmith in there. And so I think he's been very, very clear about who his nine or eight or nine guys are. I don't feel like he's going to be the one. He's not going to start Gerald Green in game three of the series. Like, I don't think he's going to be that bold in his uh, adjustments.
2: What if he just started Hauser in a playoff series?
3: (laughs) We need shooting, baby!
2: That would be, like, the, the equivalent of that Gerald Green move. Obviously, Gerald was a veteran, so it's not exact. But that was just a wild, wild Brad Stevens move. I, I wish I wish I had a photo of my face when he shared that with, <laughs> with the media. That was just just insanity. Um, but yeah, the the email thing. I think, like like you said, he has been pretty rigid in his rotation, and I think obviously in playoffs, coaches are normally rigid in their rotation. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown like forty five, forty six minutes a piece. Like, I, I think that could be a pretty regular thing, at least like deeper in a series or in a close game. Like Those guys are going to play a, a lot of minutes, I think. He, he will not be the type of coach to be like, yeah, let's try to keep them at 39 or 40, even though it's the playoffs. Like We should get them some rest so that they're at peak form. I think he'll just play them a lot and expect them to be at peak form regardless. And then the other part is... Like it took him a while to make some of the changes that I think were were pretty obvious, and and the playing Dennis Schroeder in crunch time for a long time, even though that was not going to work or did not work, uh, and at the time, like, and and maybe he deserves more leeway for that because I I do think there's a world where Dennis Schroeder. Yeah, maybe not. There's not a world where Dennis Schroeder was going to like <laughs> help help maximize the the other guys around him in that lineup. But but I don't think it was crazy to think like the the Celtics ceiling could have come with Dennis Schroeder in that closing lineup. Um, but but it didn't work for a while, and he stayed with it, and and it took him a long time to change that until like what January that he finally changed that. Um,
3: so, but that, that's the regular season. Like, is he, is he Mike Budenholzer levels of stubborn in terms of just like not going to change in the playoffs? Like if you get your ass kicks in game one and game two, and you're so stubborn that you just like, don't think like make adjustments for game three. I think that's like a, a major infraction on, uh, you as a coach, I feel like it's just human nature to kind of change up, especially in a playoff series where, you know, who your matchup's going to be. Like, I feel like the regular season was a lot about trying to establish habits of sharing the basketball, playing the ball like right way on the defensive end, putting in the effort. If you like adjustments in the playoffs, I feel like it's with like a totally different style of coaching and just like entirely different decision making process.
2: Yeah, there's an entirely different speed you have to make all those decisions. Like, you need to be able to determine from 10 minutes of play, like, oh, this starting lineup is not going to work. Like, we need to switch this up. We need to go from, let's say, Tyson Horford to Horford and Grant Williams. Or you need to decide. And the good thing, I think, or why those decisions should be limited with this Celtics team is that they have all guys who can defend in in their rotation. And so it's not like you'll be switching – a lineup just because it, it just can't match up defense. Like they'll be able to match up defensively with, with most teams, but do you need more size against Giannis? Do you, do you need to go smaller to, to try to, you know, beat the 76ers down the floor? Cause they don't have a ton of athletes outside of Embiid and Tyrese Maxey. Like th- those are the things you have to know on the fly. And, and we'll see. I mean, and then the other thing too. And he may like he adjusts the he'll adjust like defensive schemes and stuff like that. But he he doesn't go zone. Like he's not going to be Spolstra or Nick Nurse and like go a quarter of zone to try to take you out of a rhythm. Uh,
3: and may, maybe that's. I right. wish he did though, because anytime the defense plays a zone, anytime they yeah. play a zone against the Celtics, it's just like. God damn it, the zone. It's like such a annoying wrinkle to be able to throw against the team. And it feels like as much as I um, am frustrated by the existence of Nick Nurse and Eric Spolstra, I just like you have to respect them, like working that into their regular season. So they can use that in a playoff series. And like you can turn a game on that. You can turn a game just like on six minutes in the third quarter because you went zone and all of a sudden the team forgot how to get a shot. And it's not like the Celtics defense needs to rely on gimmicks to be that dominant, but it just feels like a nice card to be able to play or to have in your pocket. Um, and it's like, maybe something you wish the Celtics had at this point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But their man-to-man defense kicks ass and <laughs> like, they have a lot of different ways to beat you with that man-to-man defense. Yeah. You know, like like it, it's not a man-to-man defense that sits back and ha- like, like the Bucks, let's say like, they have Brook Lopez in the paint and he's going to protect the paint and they're going to force you to shoot threes. And if you hit a ton of threes, like they may be out of luck. Um, and Budenholzer has grown a, a little less rigid over the years. He, he's done some different things, especially when Brooke Lopez was out. They had to try other stuff. He's going to switch in the playoffs. But my point is, like that defense is designed one way, whereas the Celtics, they switch. They're personal. They, they can throw different matchups. They can throw, you know, like length on a point guard, they can throw Jason Tatum on a point guard. They can have Robert Williams or Al Horford switch onto a point guard. They like, there are a lot of different ways that they can beat you with their defense. And, and I think that, that, that is going to be a good thing. And that's going to be an asset in the playoffs. And that's something that, that doesn't have to do with how he may will be as a playoff coach, just how he's coached the defense overall. Like they'll be ready for whatever comes their way because their defense is extremely versatile. Uh, so I think that should make it easier on him, uh, or in, in a sense, he's made it easier on himself by building a defense that, that is so versatile. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see what happens when, you know, they're down one, nothing in a playoff series. And Derek white went 0 for five from the four or from three and, and they've got to figure it out. Like what does he do? I, I couldn't tell you the answer. I have no idea what it's going to be, um, but I do know that some of the coaches they could play, especially Spolstra, and like Spolstra will be ready, and Spolstra will challenge you, and Spolstra will use his roster in ways that that really, really test you, and and we'll see how Emilio Duncan does. I think that's one of the biggest questions for the Celtics going into the playoffs is is how how does Emei respond coaching wise when when things don't go well for them in the playoffs? What are the adjustments he makes? What what players does he call on? What what does he lean toward? Like Brad Stevens, I feel like we always knew he was going to lean toward the most skill in the closing lineup, right? Like he normally went to smaller lineups, which Another shooter. He loved ever.
3: three guard lineups. Like that was the Brad Stevens. Uh, That's what he his go to. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So what what is Ime Odoku going to lean on? When
3: I feel like it's size. I feel like it's. I mean, like right now, just thinking, it feels like it's going to be Grant Williams, because it feels like Eme loved to put Grant in and just to like absorb and be a big body on kind of the other team's best player. And so I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Grant Williams gives you some shooting, at least as a guy who can hang out in the corner and uh, at least knock down threes uh, numbers wise, but then can still provide um, just size. And it's not like he's the greatest rim deterrent there is, but just makes you think a little bit before or makes it a little bit harder to go in the paint. It feels like Grant Williams is kind of uh, it's shaping up for him to kind of play a, ma- a major role uh, in the series. And then maybe that's just because they haven't had like, like the close games, like you said, and had a, had a reason to go real small, but it feels like uh, there's been a, a reluctance or less of a willingness to kind of trot out the, the four ball handler lineup and, and Grant seemingly, and, and Grant gives you that opportunity because he still provides you with defense and size and shooting. Um, but it feels like his role becomes more important, especially if Derek white can't, can't knock down threes and kind of give you the, the spacing and the speed you get from a smaller lineup.
2: Yeah. I don't, I honestly think that the Celtics could be okay. If, if white doesn't knock down shots, like he he could still find ways to be a plus. He's really good at cutting. He's really good at finding the space. He's really good at, you know, beating a defense that that's leaving him open without necessarily knocking down shots.
0: What if he doesn't
3: knock down threes and doesn't knock down his little float game? Like if he's just a zero on offense, because he's struggled with the floaters too. Like sometimes he gets them and it's like, Ooh, Derek White just went on a little like six or eight point run. And it feels like he's really changed the energy there. But then there's been some, and I think like the, the miss at the end of the Raptors game stands out because he just left it way short, but he's kind of, that's the the one concern. Is like, what if he's just a real offensive zero?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, i have I have a hard time believing he'll be an offensive zero, just because his passing will be influential. Um, he's not one to take bad shots. He's going to get into the paint and 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 be physical. Draw he draws a, a few free throws. Like, he, he, he's probably not the type to be a total zero, but I
4: it
2: could definitely be where things go wrong with his jumper. And that means not just threes, but pull-ups, floaters, whatever. Uh, and teams, I mean, teams will be trying to force him and Marcus Smart to score themselves. And I'm sure there will be a game when Marcus Smart is like, four for 15 or three for 15 or whatever it is in the playoffs. And the Celtics will have to overcome that. He'll probably have another game where he hits like 19 threes or something and redeems himself. But, but those are like the, the issues that could arise for the Celtics when the playoffs do come. So what, uh, yeah, I'm really curious about Eme, Eme as a playoff coach. Maybe that's just where, where we are. Like the Celtics have been kind of, I don't want to say boring lately, but they've just pounded teams and there hasn't been much new. So now I'm like, all right, playoffs are coming <laughs> and, and this is new. This is new, especially for Eme. We have no clue
3: what he's going to be like. So I'm,
2: I'm really interested by that.
3: Well, we got two heavyweights waiting right now in the audience, and so they're never boring. So I think we should go to them now, right down to uh, our friend in South Carolina, Aaron Neesmith, correspondent, Richard D. Richard D., how are you doing?
4: Hey, guys, how are we doing? Fantastic. How Great are to hear you? from you. All right. All right. Yeah. So I got to tell you, Sam, I ratted you out. to talk to Bobby Kremens out there. I said this dude never heard of you never heard of you <laughs> never heard of you but um anyway it's it funny um don't you think not not to, not to change games but last night you couldn't help but think about it North Carolina was so good in the semis and then you know it just makes you wonder like all the same shots are short even the kid the they with the free throws everything was short and you know you look at that lineup they only played seven people and uh you know when it when it works, it works. But when it doesn't, it's easy to second guess. But anyway, that, that's that's my whole point. is it's It's hard to make a run. I don't get me wrong. One shot goes the right way, and, and and it proves it wrong. But um, you know, those short lineups. I'm just a big fan of keeping 12, 12 13 bodies ready, and uh, whether you need them or not. It just it's hard to make a a deep run going. Are, are you it, predicting it, that
2: Aaron Neesmith will be the Puff Johnson of the Celtics? Yes, I after am. They get to the
4: <laughs> Jay, I'm glad you put those words in my mouth, but um, <laughs> man, I was so upset the other night. I was trying to think, I, I gotta get to that podcast. Aaron finally got, you know, a, a nice little run and what have. You. And of course, I missed it. So, but um, so Jay, dumb question: Do you go on the road with these guys? Yeah, I'm in Chicago right now. So you'll be in Milwaukee Thursday. I
2: will indeed.
4: Okay. So I might see it there because I got to, I can't decide if I'm sitting in Aaron's seats or Chris's seats. But, um, so do you ever interview the other team or you don't do that?
2: Uh, rarely. I, when, when we were allowed in the locker room, it was a lot easier to do that because you could like sneak into yeah. the opposing locker room and then go gotcha. to the Celtics locker room. But, now it's like all Zoom calls or, or press conferences in a, in a certain room. So
0: gotcha.
2: it's tough well, to I, do both
4: these days. Well, I just think I just think that I, I need to set you up with Chris and Aaron and just, you know, at the end of the day, if, if – um, look, first of all, the Celtics are playing great. I'm happy with everything they're doing. And, um, you know, on Thursday night it's tough because it's both of my – pulling for both of my kids. But I'm telling you, if, um, if you're ever going to pull a time to do it, um, you talk about somebody that you know goes against the other guy all the time. I mean, between Josiah James at Tennessee and Aaron and Chris, they just go at it. Like they don't—they don't have a social life. I told you all that before. They just go at it in the summers. Just go at it. Go at it. Go at it. And so you talk know about someone—someone that knows every single move of Chris. Like if if I'm a Celtics coach, I'm I'm putting Aaron in on Chris, and um, you know just. Just for shits and giggles, right? Just to see <laughs> at the end of the day, you know, uh, and, anyway. We appreciate your comment. Yeah.
2: Hit me up on Twitter and uh, I'll come say hi in Milwaukee.
4: Sounds good. All right, guys. Look forward All to right.
2: it. Beautiful. Take care, my man. See ya.
3: From From one legend, I always love to check in from Aaron Neesmith uh, correspondent, Richard D. Do you think there's any chance Neesmith gets in the playoffs here is just because he has the crazy energy and can like hypothetically provide a, a spark that no one else does? Do you think Emei has enough trust in him at this point in the season?
2: Uh, honestly, I would say probably not, just because Emei tends to lean the other way. Like like Brad used to be, Like he would say he would throw darts. And when things would go wrong, like sometimes he'd just throw Gershon Yavaselli in the middle of a playoff series. <laughs> you know?
3: And that not a dart thrower. Ime is now, not a dart thrower.
2: Yeah. He I- may very much like when things go wrong, he tends to revert back to like, okay, let's just go, go to our best players and let's, let's shrink the rotation instead of adding another guy to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if, if they need a spark, Aaron Nismith would be a guy to provide it because he does have I mean, a whole lot of
3: energy. He's the only guy, because I just feel like he's not going to any deeper on the bench than Aaron Neesmith. Like It feels like yeah. he's going to go with a rotation, and then if there's another guy, it's Neesmith, but it goes no farther than that. Like I would be shocked if we saw Sauce Castillo out there. Yeah, there, Sam there's Hager. no way it would go
2: to 10, it, but Neesmith could be 9. Neesmith would be 9 if they go to 9.
0: Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place
1: to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? we've got the spot. Our partner StubHub has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order from a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry leading partnerships. StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of the athletic.
4: All
3: right. Now we're going to go for a jolt of energy Thank God, it's Joshua B. Joining us here on in the athletic. Anything is potable. Joshua. How is it going? It's going great. Thank Woo! you for coming. Thank you for coming back to Earth, J. King.
1: Because I've noticed your accent, just like I've noticed nobody talking about the Celtics. Because as you said. They're a little boring. But why are they boring? Are they boring because they can flex you big if they really want to flex you big? Because these will come off the bench because you do have Jason Tatum. Because you do have Jalen Brown. Are they boring because they can flex you small? Because they do have Marcus Smart. And they do have Pete and they do have 6'2 Grant Williams. And they do, and if they want to go even bigger, you can go with Daniel Dice and, Robert w- and um, Al Horford. And that just happens to be eight players that I just listed just off the uh- cuff. And by the way, I didn't mention player number nine, Derek White. So now we're nine deep. And God forbid we ever get Robert Williams back. Like I told you, he should come back after four to six weeks. That would make ten. So anybody who is sweating over the 11th and 12th man on the bench needs to calm the hell down. Ten people is the <laughs> of the bench.
2: That's uh, I, 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 I've got a question before you continue. But sure. please, please, don't, don't let me knock you off track. I won't. Is this who you really are, or do you play a character when you come on this show? Like, this is that,
1: I keep all of my Celtics thoughts in all week as I listen to podcasts. I don't call in to podcasts that are solely focused on the Celtics except for this one. And the only reason that I do call into this one is because I know that you are going on point of contention and basketball buds only to hear you guys in <laughs> all kinds of time talking about you know how wonderful DeJounte Murray and Jocka Pardell are fighting for the ace team with the San Antonio Spurs so I wait all week for this to come on so that I can hear Zach Harper go on the rundown and and talk about how hard it is for the Razzies you know and and Shaq right that's the reason that I come on this No, I bottle up all of my Celtics energy for this podcast so that's my that's my question that's point so that's the answer to your question. Can I continue? I got some more. Go, on, <laughs> okay. go Absolutely. On.
3: Absolutely.
1: Okay. So number three, um, after I answered your question, after I made the point about it, right? I two. have a
3: big,
1: I have a big question for you. I've got a serious question for you, Jay King. Okay. Which one of the Milwaukee forwards are we going to roast in the playoffs with either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum? Is it going to be Grayson Allen? Is it going to be Pat Connaughton? Is it going to be, um, is it going West to be Matt Portis? Who, which one are we going to just torch? Because everything that I hear on how bad the Celtics are, how boring they are, how they can't make it past Milwaukee, is just look at how big and strong Milwaukee is. Last night, we have we have Al Horford and Robert Williams coming back for the second round. So which one of their wings is going to handle us? Who are you deeply scared of? Are you deeply scared of Chris Middleton on defense? Because that's the right answer. The right answer is Chris Middleton will take one of them away. Okay. Who's going to take the other one? Because I've noticed that that Jalen Brown has been playing really well. Has nobody else? Does it take 144 points against the Wizards for people to start talking about the Celtics? The answer to that question is no. Because nobody talks about him the very next day. Right? What does it take? Like... It takes a Derek White missed layup with three of our starters out for people to talk about the Celtics? Is that what it I takes?
2: Feel like, I feel like a lot of people have been talking about the Celtics lately. Like, well, you, you did it wrong. Than you want it. People are wrong. not talking
1: about the Celtics.
2: <laughs> but, but pe- people have been calling the Celtics. I, I was just listening to uh, the Low Post. They were talking about Marcus Smart's uh, all-defensive team candidacy. So I do feel like people have caught up to the Celtics and everyone has
1: talked about how, how hard it is for us to lose Robert teams, Williams. Really. Yes. People have been talking about how <laughs> difficult it is for Robert Williams, who was a defensive player of the year candidate to now be gone four to six weeks. Yeah. They've been talking about that. What about Celtics? The fact that
3: we're in the two seed. I got <laughs> a question for you. I got a question for you. Ask away. What, what do you think the Celtics should do for these final three games, in terms of in terms of seeding, um, are you just oh, are such it. an optimist that it doesn't matter whatsoever, and that there should be nope. no involved? No, 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 no. It does matter. I think
1: Milwaukee's going to be coming off a back to back, and that if we can steal that game, we should try and steal that game, especially if Miami loses tonight, because the one seed against Philadelphia. We will own the 76ers in the second round. We don't even need Robert Williams back for that. Really, we need Time Lord for either Miami or for Milwaukee. So ideally, we do try to win all three games. I actually think Memphis is going to rest their stars because I don't think they have any reason to play at all. Yeah, I don't don't think Memphis is going
2: to play their dudes in that game. That would be weird of them to do.
1: So then that leaves Chicago. That leaves Chicago. That leaves what are we going to do against the Bulls tomorrow night after they get done playing the Bucks on their back-to-back. And the answer is, we're going to play, just like Ime Udoka always plays. I'm very curious as well. I'm curious about the exact same thing you are, Jay King. I'd love to know what Ime Udoka will do in the playoffs as a head coach. If only he had ever been a head coach anywhere else. No, he's never been. So course, No answer to that, right? All we know is that we go 10 deep and that it's, that it's possible that we – Make it to the second round because, yeah, I think we should go for the one seat if it's in play. Now, on the other hand, Miami can completely take it out of play by simply winning two of their next three and just then it's all done. In which case, who cares? What difference does it make? Because we're going to beat anybody except for maybe Milwaukee in the second round without Time Lord. But we better be missing Time Lord because if we are – I, I
2: thought time- you just said the Celtics destroy Milwaukee's other guy on the perimeter.
1: Yeah, I think that there's a matchup problem there, and I don't hear anybody talking about that. I
2: think that whatever you, you don't think Chris Middleton will take one of them and Drew Holiday will take the other?
1: No, I think Drew Holiday is going to score 35 smart. points. I think that Drew Holiday is going to exam- Marcus Smart, 35 point per game series. I like that. That's <laughs> what happened against <laughs> Toronto when we were missing four guys. So I think the league knows. But anyway, so that's. So the question that I asked is. I, ask that i wanted to ask in the whole in that whole thing is why are why is everybody deeply concerned like what's really the problem in the first round you know what are what are we worried about whether we're the two seed or whether we're the three seed right like what's what's really the problem robert williams took my advice from last show and decided i'm (laughs) four to six weeks Because it wasn't it wasn't the
3: surgeon making the decision once he opened up Robert Williams' knees. It was Josh B's advice.
1: Yeah, it was my advice. He said, I would rather live a lifetime knowing that I gave it my all when it actually mattered than have a fully working meniscus. And that made sense to me in my head. So, my, question was, what are you really scared of? Right? I get it. That we, I get it. That there's a difference between hope and expectations. Right? What are our expect? Like when we're being really serious, right? What are our expectations? Well, I'll tell you what my expectation was when we were losing and we were at the beginning of the year. My hope was that we could make the playoffs. Right? And my expectation was that maybe we end up in the middle of the pack, right? Maybe we end up with like a middle of the first round lottery pick and we run in place until everybody's healthy and hopefully make a run. Well, now that we've had this gigantic winning streak, what are my expectations? My expectations are to get to the second round of the playoffs, right? That's what I expect. And if we slap it there, right, if we stop there, what are we afraid of? Right. What actually brings us fear? And don't answer Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving or the refs. Don't answer that. What are we worried about? What are we actually like nervous about? Where do we not match up? We just talked about the flexibility. You just talked about the flexibility. We can go up and down with anybody. You can play us small. You can play us big. You can play us any which way you want. And short of Giannis and Brooke Lopez, and Brooke Lopez better continue to play the way he's been con- where, the way he's been playing, because if he slips even a little with his conditioning, then we have a new hole. I'm being crazy. Everybody thinks that
3: I'm. <laughs> 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 Joshua, you're you're not crazy. You're crazy like a fox, and uh, I appreciate uh, you're and all me. kind of crazy, Josh. <laughs> oh, like like uh, it's a good question, Jay. I think. Uh, The Joshua's framing can be a bit, um, I would say exaggerated sometimes, because I don't know if anyone's really uh, scared for the Boston Celtics. And I think in our, all of our discussions about the Celtics in the playoffs, we have completely skipped to the second round in all of those discussions, Like we have not even considered who's the best, most favorable first round matchup for them. We have already assumed them winning a first round uh, series. So to continue on, I think that the the issue for the Celtics is what we saw in that game against the Miami Heat is just like what their defense is going to be pretty solid. I think it's going to be they would play close games against the Heat against the Sixers. I actually think they're uh, better than the Sixers at this point, just because I don't think the Sixers have a lot of defense or depth. But playing against the Milwaukee Bucks is like yes, there is uh, they might have someone like Wesley Matthews or. Grayson Allen or Pat Connaughton, who you can attack. But they just put those people on Marcus Smart. They put Drew Holiday on uh, Jalen Brown and then Chris Middleton on Tatum or, you know, this Giannis Antetokounmpo guy. uh, And the Celtics struggle to score down the stretch. Like the Celtics offense, especially without Robert Williams, uh, I just don't know if it's proven to be uh, as efficient and as effective in crunch time as you would want heading into the postseason. I'd like... So that's what my like expectations and fears would be for the Celtics going up against an elite opponent like the Heat or the Bucks. It's just that I think the defense is going to keep them in a lot of games. It's just whether or not you have enough offense where the teams are just focused on getting the ball out of Jason Tatum's hands. Can you have enough knockdown shooting to kind of make teams pay for having that one weekend? It's not just going to turn into like you can isolate on like one guy and. Like you're not just able to abuse Tyler Hero or Pat Connaughton every single possession down the stretch. These teams are good enough to kind of not put their players in that position and you're going to have to figure out other ways to score.
2: Like I'm, I'm still in a daze from Josh's energy, man. <laughs> that it's hard to
3: on. even slow him down. Like I, I cut him off, off earlier than he,
2: up. <laughs> he... raises his hand as soon as the podcast starts and then just waits and waits and waits and I feel like, like his Blood pressure just keeps rising and rising, and and then he'll listen oh, well, to it's, it's national podcasts. It's
3: a good thing we and, and good thing gonna, give him a release; otherwise, he would explode.
2: That is true. We are we are the only thing keeping Josh. Uh, I would say probably sane, but that that could be a, <laughs> a touch too far. I love you, Josh. Your your, your calls are are
3: always. Just an adventure. <laughs> Let me ask you the same question I asked Josh. What do you think the Celtics should do with this uh, seeding? They have a back to back with the Bulls and the Bucks. The Bucks actually, the Bucks game against the Celtics is the first of um, their back to back. So their second night of a back to back comes after that game. So I think they'll be fully rested. I agree that I don't think they're like the Memphis game should be a gimme. I think at this point, you probably just go for it and you try to get the, I guess, the two seed if my assuming Miami wins tonight. But there is, I have considered the option of just like you, it, it really depends on what happens in that Chicago game. If they were to lose that Chicago game, then I think you just kind of like rest the players against Milwaukee and hope you get a four seed. Um, so you avoid Milwaukee or the 76ers in the next round because the Sixers are could win tonight. I think they're playing, um, I forget who they're playing, but they're it's not a good team. They should win tonight. And they the are Sixers playing, are going to be they are not playing at all tonight. Well, oh, that's correct they're me. Playing the
2: Pacers. They're playing the Pacers.
3: They're so, playing the Pacers, so they should win tonight. The Bucks are playing the Bulls tonight. And so if both those teams win, they're dead even with the Celtics in terms of games played. The Celtics could easily end up where anywhere from 2 to 4. Like, How do you think they should play it, given that there's a back-to-back? They want people to be rested. But then also, with this new play-in tournament, there's going to be a full week of rest between that Memphis game and when they would hypothetically have game one of a playoff series. So what do you think their strategy should be over the – I guess let's focus in on uh, this back-to-back with Chicago-Milwaukee. I, I
2: mean, as Eme Odoka keeps saying, get healthy – Be as healthy as possible and playing well. And I I think that's a focus because, honestly, the standings are so jumbled that anything could happen. Um, And I I do think that maybe falling to four would line the Celtics up with the second – the best second-round opponent. Like, I I think there's an argument to be made that Miami – would be a better second-round opponent than Milwaukee or Philly maybe. But I, I don't know that, that that's true. Um, At
3: this point, it's like anything could happen. Is just like go out, roll the basketballs out, and play basketballs. Like I can understand. Yeah, and,
2: and especially now that Brooklyn, I mean, they're not locked into the ninth or tenth spot, but they're likely going to be in the ninth or tenth spot. Which means that they won't be able to get up to the seventh seed. Which means that if you get the two, you're not going to have to play Kevin Durant in round one. In, I mean, in, who knows if they even life, make
3: it past Nick a uh, Nick Freeman in a playoff setting?
2: That is true. I mean, <laughs> you, you say you say that's somewhat in jest, but it would it's, it, it's not easy to, especially if they if they finish in tenth where they are right now. It's not easy to win two. Playing games on the road, even if you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving,
3: when their like, defense is is what it is, and it's just not good, and you like play a Hornets team that can re- like with the highest pace in the league that can really score the basketball, and then hypothetically play Trey Young and the Hawks who have won five games straight. It's absolutely difficult to win two playing games on the road. Has anyone ever won two playing games on the road? Well, there's only been one year of playing games, and so I don't believe it happened last year. It might have been the West did Memphis, or were they? In oh the- yeah, Memphis did exactly that. Didn't they? <laughs> or were they
2: in ninth? Uh, they might have been in ninth, though. So the first one might have been home. I, I oh, it doesn't really matter. The the point is, if you're two, you're probably going to avoid Brooklyn at this at this rate. So two two would be fine, and then you'd have home court advantage in round two against probably either Milwaukee or Philadelphia, if that's if that's what happens. So, uh, I don't know. I, I still think, like, having Robert Williams for a series against Milwaukee or Philadelphia would be pretty important. But maybe he'll be back by the second round. Who knows? He could
3: be. Um, that's yeah. why I think if you lose the Bulls game, then you have a back-to-back. I think you're like you – Then you some, just bow you out. Rest Al yeah. Horford. Then you just bow out and, and and just accept the four seed. So you uh, want to
2: but go if you for win the two, the Bull basically. Games and the... Or probably what you two. Saying? I mean, so you, you want them to go for the two. Well, probably the two, because Miami's not likely to fall out of one. So you want you want them to go for the two. If they don't get the two, just slide down to four.
3: Yeah, because you go for the two, because I think that home court is, like, is beneficial in the second round but I would rather have the four for the matchup base than the three at this point, because I'd rather avoid Milwaukee or Philly. Uh, and because I think Robert Williams is the most useful against the team, those two teams where you like size is the most important and he can play uh, potentially in the Eastern conference finals. If you, if you make it there. And so I think if you lose the bulls game, then you just kind of second night of a back to back, you rest uh, some of your guys, It's going to be um, interesting to see how Milwaukee plays. And that's the other thing. Is like you just can't control how other teams are going to uh, play their guys or rest their guys. But I think a lot to pay. Like if you win the Bulls game, then you maybe go for it, get that two seed, get home court in the second round, and just like say, you know what, we're going to have to beat Milwaukee or whoever eventually and just deal with it and hope that home court does it for you. But um, I think you just kind of have to make it on a game to game determination because then you'll have more information about – where all the other teams are, and like what your chances at the at the seeds are actually like how it's impacted.
2: Well, let's go to Alejandro. Alejandro. Alejandro.
3: So,
5: guys, you got me.
3: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
5: All right. I just want to. I heard uh, Jam was saying that Miami is the one we'd like to pay the most in the second round. Because I I don't buy that at all.
0: Who
3: would you rather play? I'd All rather the play the Sixers.
5: 100, the Sixers. They got They do have Joel and Okay, come on, but we we, we, we know how to handle him be in the playoffs, especially in the second round. If Timler can come back, I, I, I that does not concerning that much. Uh, uh, they, have, uh, they have their uh, coach is Doc Rivers.
2: doc rivers Rivers he gets a bad rep sometimes but he is not a bad basketball coach i think the combination of Embiid and harden is petrifying like you can say what you want about the rest of the roster maybe not being up to par you could especially the backup center and some of the depth on the team but Dealing with those two guys for seven games will be a bear for whoever has to do it. So, but it, the thing is, at the top of the East, there, there are no weak links. Like, you play Miami, you're going to be in a dog fight. Like, you play Philly, you're going to be scared as hell about him beating Harden. You play Milwaukee, they're the defending champs. They've got maybe the best player in basketball. So, there, there will be no easy second round series in the Eastern Conference. That's for damn sure.
5: Nah, but Philly's I, I the one grew- I'm scared of the least because there will be one game where Harden gets all his free throws and B gets his free throws, whatever, and then the rest of the time they're just going to be missing shots, chucking up in the fourth quarter. Harden's going to go like five for twenty-five or something in Game Six and lose. I'm not, I'm not that <laughs> worried about Philly.
3: I mean, I, I appreciate the uh, the call, uh, Andre. I do – That did make me think about it. Like, the, the Celtics absolutely blew the doors off the 76ers um, the most recent time they played, and that's just because the Sixers could not stop the Celtics whatsoever. I know that game they didn't have James Harden, but I also don't know if adding James Harden really helped the 76ers on defense. I would be terrified of especially what happens in a series – if Al Horford gets in foul trouble or like they would like, especially with both Harden and Embiid, just playing the foul game in the playoffs, it's just not necessarily something I want to engage in, but they do have such a weakness defensively that I think that would like benefit the Celtics. So you could talk me into a situation where playing like, yeah, I've been less scared of the 76ers in the second round, but I also just don't know, like how the CD, like that would have Milwaukee would have to fall to the four at this point. I guess if you beat them on Thursday night, uh, that's definitely a possibility. Um, but I can buy it, Alejandro. I think uh, definitely the Bucks are the scariest team. Um, I just like if you if you default to playoff settings where you go like best player in the series, I think of the 76ers. Joel Embiid is just like clearly would be, still be the best player in the series. And that that still scares you a little bit
2: you don't think Tatum could outplay Embiid
3: in a playoff series? Oh, I think mean, he absolutely could, but there's just Joel Embiid, is play has been an MVP candidate this year, and I've seen him absolutely destroy the Celtics, albeit not in the playoffs. He is uh, never, people uh, forget this, Joel Embiid's never been out of the second round, um, not once in his entire playoff career. Um, but I've also seen him play against the Celtics and just give them 40 and 20 uh, with relative ease, and I know Al Horford did an excellent job of defending Joel Embiid in the playoffs, but he also had all of Australia like being uh, just another giant body and helping him out. Now he's got all of I Germany? Don't know... What?
2: Now he's got he's all of Germany. about the
3: first time around.
2: I'm saying now he has all of Germany.
3: Well, I'm telling you, Australia is bigger than Germany. <laughs> is that true? I. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a big geography. In terms of a landmass, I would think it's absolutely true. In terms of global power, I think Germany wins.
2: Yeah, I, this this conversation has gone <laughs> off the rails.
3: Jay is a uh, is geography potable?
2: I honestly after the exchange we just had, I don't think it is.
3: And I think i